from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Here we go, Cofield and Company on a Monday. Willie Ramirez down at the Fortress for tonight. VGK on life support going against the Devils. Willie, how you doing, buddy? What's happening? What's happening? Happy uh, Monday to you. Not a whole lot is happening. Although we did have some breaking news today with uh, UNLV running rebel basketball, so we'll get into that. They added a couple of players, uh, NBA playoffs, and uh, I retract that. A lot is happening today, but I couldn't hear you. Uh, <laughs> Willie, what's the uh, what do you think the scene is going to be like tonight? What kind of crowd support? I know it'll be a big crowd, but how do you think the crowd's going to react to what happened at VGK over the weekend? I think this is going to be one of those games where we are going to see one of those typical Vegas crowds sort of that we've seen collectively in the first four and a half or four and three quarters seasons um, where – if they come out flying in the first period, they're going to be raucous. It's going to be loud. They're going to be supportive. And if New Jersey comes out, your hometown Devils, and puts a smack down, then they're going to be booing, and they're going to be calling for DeBoer's job by the end of the <laughs> second period that, on Twitter. That quick, huh? Oh, it's it's going it's going to be – because, you know, they're pretty much up against it. I mean, I think that they got out of the road trip what everyone expected them to do, what they hoped to do was a little bit different, which we'll touch on later in the show. But um, at this point, you know, they just can't afford to – they can't afford to lose. They can't afford they, – they have to win. It's it's one of those things where Pete DeBoer said, hey, we're not going to win or lose the, a berth tonight. He said that today at Morning Skate. But they also can't afford to lose anymore. They have to be in the mindset that we need just need to win the, the rest of the games. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Hate to start out, Willie, on a bummer, but uh, bad news comes down over the weekend. One of our local prep stars who is headed to USC shot at a party. What do we have uh, in terms of an update? Yeah, Aaliyah Gales, um, who one of the, I mean, one of the true talents, one of the best players to come out of Las Vegas, uh, women's basketball players, USC uh, commit, as you mentioned, McDonald's All-American. She just played in that game. She just played in the Jordan Brand Classic on Friday, comes home on Saturday, and was at a house party. Was actually leaving the house. Um, Some details I had gotten um, from some sources I reached out to, um, was leaving the house when it happened. Um, fast forward just before we get into the tragic details of, of, of this just uh, unmentionable, just terrible, terrible. Um, she is in surgery as we speak. Um, so keep her in your prayer, Southern Nevada. She is, uh, she's, she went to under, underwent two emergency surgeries. She is under, uh, she's in surgery now. I want to say to remove, um, I believe bullets from her ankle, um, I don't know how else to put this other than because I'm not sure how lucky anybody is when you suffer multiple shots, but she didn't get hit in the head. She didn't get hit in the torso, which means no back, no neck. Um, There are hopes that she'll walk. Um, Basketball career, obviously, there's no, you know, that's not even really 
a subject matter, but the first step is to get her better, get her on her feet. I do know that she has she was alert, she was awake, and she told her father all she wanted to do was get on the basketball court, which brought a smile to Dwight's face. So, um, but yeah, that's that's where we're at as of right now. Uh, what do you know about the family? Because I saw the dad was tweeting something out like, uh, hey, sorry, this was my fault. Well, he said a lot of people are going to blame me, and, and I take full responsibility. And I think if you're not a parent, you've never been one, um, you know, I fully understand where he's coming from, even with, you know, father of a 26-year-old. I think what he means, what he meant and what he means is that, you know, he knows what his daughter is, and that is the number eight player in the country. It's a, you know, she's still, in a, she's 18, but, you know, when you are still a high school student, even if you reach – adult age you are still under the jurisdiction of your parents and you know when you are a prized athlete this is a this is a young woman that very easily in four years could have been in the WNBA a career in front of her you know you sort of look out ahead and say okay this is probably not the best idea she just got home from four days on the road she played in the McDonald's game she played in the Jordan game so I think he was taking responsibility in not sort of putting the clamps on saying, hey, no, let's stay home. Let's get some recovery. You've been gone. You don't need to be going out. You don't need to, you know, how many times do you say this to pro athletes, right? People that come to Vegas, people that go to um, the cities that host um, whatever, events, if playoffs, uh, Super Bowls, wherever it's it. You, t- you know, pro athletes, nothing good could come from pro athletes being out at 2 in the morning. Well, the same could be said, you know, nothing could be good for going out when you're a prize recruit, prize athlete, you know, just being out, being out late and you know, and you're a, you're a you're a top recruit like that. You just you I think that's his mindset. I'm assuming. I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that's the context that that we're talking about here is that He's taking responsibility and that he should, you know, he's going to go through his mind as a parent. What could I have done different? Could I have told her, don't go to the party, should, you know, go here, don't do this. So I think he's taking responsibility in that. I don't think that there's anything more to that than just being, you know, a parent. we got some breaking news coming up on uh, the running Rebels. As uh, I mentioned, they added a couple of players, but we're just hearing that maybe they've lost a key player, maybe a commit uh, from earlier this year. So we'll get you updated on that, and then we'll get into the Vegas Golden Knights and the status of one Robin Leonard and what exactly is in front of the Knights tonight with the Devils and also the rest of the playoff picture. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Kicks it out. Smart fakes. Inside. Tatum spins. Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. studio. Crazy ending to the Celtics. Willie Ramirez down at the Fortress getting ready for Devils in town against your Vegas Golden Knights on the uh, brink of disaster here. We'll hear from Mark Stone in just a couple minutes. So, Willie, we were talking about the uh, tragic shooting of one of our uh, prep players and you know, future Pac-12 athletes. Yeah, is there a way to help out? Yeah, there is, and 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 you know, it's it's such a tragic situation when you hear the reasoning behind it. That it it sounded like it was very intentional, and she was very she was targeted um, for a specific reason. And so it's it's sad because her dad's a good guy. Her dad actually is an avid listener of this show. Stopped by Silver Sevens one time and ah, okay. introduced himself. 
uh, the night that they were doing Lady Grizzly Night to see Essence Booker and the UNLV Lady Rebels, and he came by to say hi. He was listening to the show. But um, I just retweeted uh, in between um, during the break with a uh, little, in case you missed it, acronym above it from my tweet last night on the GoFundMe um, link. So anything you can do to help out, and this is mainly for, you know, while they're at the hospital, you know, for food and sort of just missed time at work here and there, I, I, I believe that their, you know, insurance and so on and so forth is fine. But this is just incidentals and just to help out along the way. Um, so I retweeted that, and uh, anything obviously helps. Uh, more than pales in comparison, but uh, not a good weekend for the Golden Knights as they go to Edmonton and just get smashed and shut out. And, you know, every one of these games is the biggest game of the year now, Willie. It is. Um, you know, when you look, you look at the, uh, the big picture of the three games going to Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton, I think a lot of people would have said, okay, they're going to go in and they're going to beat Vancouver. They're probably going to lose to Calgary. And then you want to hope to get in there and – get to overtime with Edmonton and, and get a point out of it. That would be three points. And they ended up getting three points because they lost to Vancouver in overtime. They beat the snot out of Calgary, and then they turn around and they flop against Edmonton um, with Mike Smith playing a phenomenal game. So I, I don't think it's what they wanted, but as far as expectations, it's, it's about what you could expect. But with little time remaining and, you know, based on games in hand, who's got what, the schedule in front of the L.A. Kings, it's now do or die. You, The Golden Knights have to treat the remainder of this season as it's must win. As they have been, it's not as if they've been taking games lightly. You know, they're just getting healthy. Peter DeBoer discussed it today, and just in terms of Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, these guys and their, their, their magical way of playing with one another as line mates, and yet in the first few games back together, you see the sluggishness. And maybe it's just getting up to game speed. Mark Stone spoke to us today. So, it's a, you know, they just need to get back into their rhythm. But the problem is when you have an injured team like this, right, you're usually like, well, hey, once they get healthy, they're going to be really dangerous and they'll come together. They don't have time. They have to come together. Like this, tonight is the night. They have to explode. The good thing is, is they've responded well after shutouts. They've responded well. They already beat the Devils. This is a team that they can pretty much, I can't say you have to assume they're going to win, but this is a team that they can dominate in every facet with the components that they're going to put on the ice tonight. Will they dominate in goal with Robin Leonard, Back. Do we have more information why he had to come off the trip? None. Um, the only thing that Peter DeBoer said, he was asked about it. Um, he was the first off the ice at morning skate, and DeBoer just said that it appears that the family issue is cleared up and that he is available tonight. That's how he put it. He said, you know, the family issue is cleared up and he's available for us tonight. He didn't say he's in net. Um, they never really do, but he was the first one off the ice. So there's no telling what it is. Um, what it was, and if he's healthy physically, mentally, emotionally, he's got to bring his best game because the Devils are going to do any as, – as, you know, Vegas has just slowly become one of the more hated teams in the league, I think because of the early success that it's had in the first four and whatever, you know, three-quarter seasons. So um, whether, they're, whether a team's in the playoffs or not, they're coming in and they're gunning to end the Golden Knights' playoff run. So he's going to have to be at his best, as will – Every single line, every single defensive pair, and they just have to continue to put pucks on the net and move in transition, clear the zone, and get rushes. 
Mark Stone has to be at his best, which is not easy because he's coming off a long layoff. Uh, here's Stone talking about how he felt after the first couple of games back. I wish I could tell you great, but <laughs> it's always tough playing uh, coming into these games. You know, after missing two, two, two and a bit uh, months, but it's starting to come around for sure. Definitely felt better in Calgary, and then felt better in Edmonton. So hopefully, get in front of the home fans and feel even better. All right, feeling better, but it sounds like he still knows that he's not one hundred percent. Well, he, we tried to. I think we were trying to ask delicately, and and, and because he had said the first time he rushed his return. Yep. And then he said, you know, and, and quite frankly, I rushed it back this time. So I actually followed up a couple of questions afterwards. I said, uh, can we go back a second here? You said you rushed it back. Um, does that mean that you have to do anything different after you, you know, a practice here and there? Do you got to get treatment? Do you got to get treatment between periods? He said, no. He said, what I meant was that I rushed it back. Like I wanted to come back two weeks ago. I was telling them, let's get, I want to be back two weeks ago. So I think that he's back and healthy. I think he's just not up to game speed. He just needs to get his conditioning and his sort of his timing down. I mean, you know, you, you've been doing this since you were a little kid. You're one of the best defensive forwards in the league. You're one of the best players in the league. And so it's like riding a bicycle. But at the same time, you have to catch up to some game speed. He, he You know, he hasn't had time with Eichel. He hasn't had time with his regular line mates. He just hasn't had time on the ice. He's missed a lot of time this season. In and out, inconsistency with playing time. And it's a matter of getting into his own rhythm back on the ice during game speed. It's tough. It's never fun watching. I understand why you know, my family has a hard time watching games now. It's not the easiest thing to do. So when you're so co- committed to, to one thing and it's taken away from you, it's, uh, uh, it's definitely hard to watch. Yeah, Mark Stone talking about being away for so long, and it must have been frustrating as hell as the team you know, was stumbling and reeling towards an area they don't want to be in, which is on the outside looking in, and it's starting to get further away from them, Willie. It is, you know, and Stone Touch. Part of that question was about watching and, and, and being able to communicate with the Golden Knights. And he said, how would it look for me to sit there and watch from the press box and then come down and start, you know, speaking like a captain, directing orders as if I was just coming off the bench? And I asked him if he saw the game differently, you know, than when you're skating around or sitting on the bench waiting for your line shift, then sitting there and observing. He said, yeah, I mean, I guess you break it down differently and you can see it. You can see things developing before they happen, but... You know, you're sort of helpless, and it's frustrating. So um, what's more frustrating is just how the talent that this team has based on the money that they spent for the superstars they have, and they have these clunkers like they did in Edmonton and producing offense. And it's, you know, again, um, it's it's up to you – know, I, I, I can't put it on Peter DeBoer. I mean, he's doing what he can, whether he puts the lines in the blender. It, the guys got to get out there, and they have to produce. They have to find, you know – They have to clear the puck. They have to get going before they get into the neutral zone, clear the puck, get in the neutral zone, and already be moving on odd man rushes and create that. That's what's happened to them more times than not and why they're getting beat. They're somewhat getting beat in their own game and how they saw early franchise success. They need to get back to that toward the end of this season um, in in these last week and a half, last week and a half, two weeks if they want to win out. Uh, they're capable of doing it. They're definitely pay- capable of putting together a winning run. Um, you know, the one person they're missing who's probably one of the, if not the smartest, as far as hockey IQ players, and that's Riley Smith. Um, Riley Smith is a guy that, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me in, in, you know, 15, 20 years if we're talking about him as a coach in some capacity. Mm. Um, he's just a very intelligent hockey player. Gerard Glant used to say that all the time. 
um, when he was here. DeBoer has said how much, how you know, how vital he is to to that uh, old misfit line. But just in general, that's why he wears an A on his sweater. But it doesn't mean that the Golden Knights can't produce with what they have. We're talking about Eichel. We're talking about Pacioretty, Stevenson, Stone. I and mean, we can go up and down the list. Some of the top defensemen. They have to put together. Um, 60 minutes of hockey, 200 feet of hockey, and do what they do best. So the uh, Knights play tonight at 7 o'clock. Another team that they're competing against, really two. Vancouver has very little shot of making the playoffs, about 10%. Chance of making the playoffs. Dallas is at Vancouver. That's a 7.30 start. So as we go through the ledger here, Willie, Oilers, 76 games, 94 points. Kings, 77 games, 90 points. Dallas, 75, they've got 91. Nashville, 75, they've got 91. And VGK has played 76, and they've only got 87 points, which brings up uh, an interesting point, uh, or is it just completely incorrect? Uh, Dangerous Danny, one of our remote techs and a big hockey guy, said the Golden Knights play one team in their final six games that have over 100 points. Preds play five teams with 100-plus points in their final six games. This is VGK's time to make their move in the standings. The Preds are... According to ESPN, 89% chance of making the playoffs. Is Nashville going to collapse here? Well, I, you, looking at the schedule, you could say that. I mean, sure, that's easy to say. But you also, I mean, Golden Knights have lost games that they probably shouldn't have lost. Right. They've lost to Chicago. They lost to Vancouver the other day. These are teams that you're not supposed to lose to. They went in and they smacked. They didn't just beat Calgary in a hard-fought game. They smacked Calgary looking like the Vegas team we thought was going to be playing the entire season. so And then they lose to Edmonton. So there's no telling in these last two weeks what's going to happen. Nashville could just simply step up to the level of play and play the caliber of competition, you know, to the hilt and and, and do what it needs to do. So I, I, I get what you're saying. Who's got the tougher schedule? Who's, schedule? who's got the easier schedule? I mean, a week and a half ago, we were talking about how the Golden Knights had their hands full because of who they had on their plate and who the L.A. Kings had to face in being an easy schedule, right? And L.A. started slumping. There's no telling. There's no, there's, at, at this point in the season, there's no easy schedule. I don't care who you're playing. You could be playing Buffalo or you could be playing Carolina, Tampa Bay, it, Seattle, for all that matter. Because as I said earlier, especially when you're the Vegas Golden Knights, the Vegas Golden Knights are a hunted team. And no matter who you are in the league, no matter which conference you're in, which division, I think the teams enjoy coming in, especially here and beating this team. So I, I, I get what Danny's saying. I know why he tweeted it, but I'm not buying into that because the Predators are very capable of stepping up and playing to the level of competition. UNLV update. If you put two and two together from a couple of weeks ago when uh, assistant Carlin Hartman went off to Florida to join Todd Golden's staff, uh, I think a lot of people were like, well, Kyron Lindsay, the uh, one and only and the, the top 22 recruit for the Rebels, well, you know, Carlin Hartman was his guy. And it's been quiet for a couple of weeks, but just a little while ago, Kyron Lindsay decommitted. So it's been an interesting day. Uh, that's their top and their only high school senior coming in, a 6'7", 6'8", forward, uh, top 100 guy, number 85 recruit in the country. Uh, meanwhile, earlier in the day, they actually did get commits from some other guards, both from Colorado and Oklahoma. We'll get into that as the uh, day moves along, Willie. But it's going to be interesting here to see what Kevin Kruger puts together. I will tell you that while there are names all over the place about who UNLV is shooting for, yeah. 
the guys they've brought in really haven't been part of that chatter. They're being very quiet about who they're going after. Well, and I think that Kevin Kruger, you know, he benefits from obviously his coaching pedigree and he knows the game. He this is where he's at an advantage. He's he's been taught by the right guys, obviously starting with his father. So um, the way that they're working in silence is tremendous. And I think that what you're going to see, you see components moving out, you see players coming in, and you're seeing this widely you know, across college basketball. It's not just at UNLV. We're talking about the local interest, obviously. But this is the time where chess is played, and I think that he knows the game. I, I think the key is not to focus on, well, who are they losing? It's a matter of, like you said, who they've set their sights on and how they're just sort of quietly making their moves. And I, 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 I'm interested to see how it plays out and when it breaks down. And, and outside of the analytics as to, you know, you know who's done what, what they did, because I'm also not buying into what, it's, what a kid may have done in a certain role with the previous team because he may be, be being brought in because of what he's capable of doing and sort of fleshing that talent out at UNLV in a role that they need him to do much better. Obviously, that's why kids leave programs because they're being offered a chance to sort of expand their talent, expand their role a little bit. So I, I'm not going to buy into analytics on some of these players as to, you know, well, when they were at this program, this is what they did or didn't do. Um, it's a matter of what Kevin Kruger sees, and they're obviously bringing them in for these reasons. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I like the activeness that he's, that he's you know, that, that this program is seeing right now. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. With the Kraken, we are ushering in a new era of sports into our city. Even though this is our inaugural season, the energy and climate pledge is amazing. I'm just as excited that myself and Marshawn are becoming part of the ownership group. Can I read it? You know, it took a while to get here, and we're in the building. But I'm a little scared, because Marshawn is driving the Zamboni. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Voice of Macklemore's The Rapper? I guess. Uh, and uh, Marshawn Lynch, now part of the Kraken ownership group. Kind of cool. little diversification. We'll get into uh, Marshawn a little later on in the Big Five. Willer Mayer's over at the Fortress. It's Cofield and Ari in our Finley Toyota Studios. So, listen, Willie and I are no wallflowers. We're not, you know, gentle souls. Well, Willie is more than I am. Um, I've heard language. I am from the same state over there, as uh, Kyrie Irving. But the stuff over the weekend, to me, is just stupid. And it's a repeat of some behavior from a couple of weeks ago where Kyrie continues to say, hey, I know what's coming. Well, then why are you reacting like a child? So Kyrie Irving has a big game for the Nets. He goes for 39. He hits a jumper, and he flashes a finger at the crowd. Um, he was also at one point standing there with his hands behind his head with two middle fingers out. How old is Kyrie Irving? Is he 27? So 27 going on 12 years old here. And then his explanation after the game, Willie, is just lame. Give this a listen. 
Where I'm from, you know, I'm used to all these antics and people being close nearby. You know, it's nothing new when I come into this building, what it's going to be like. But it's the same energy they have for me, and I'm going to have the same energy for them. And it's not every fan. I don't want to attack every fan, every Boston fan. But when people start yelling, and bitch, and you, and all this stuff, it's but so much you can take. Uh, as a competitor and um, you know we're the ones expected to be docile and be humble and take a humble approach nah f that's the playoffs this is what it is you know I, I've I know what to expect in here and it's the same energy I'm giving back to them Willie is that cool giving the same energy back to jabronis and the Boston crowd who are cussing at him I'm reacting okay uh, <laughs> I said yes and no um I believe I, – I, I understand where Kyrie's coming from, but there's sort of a mixed bag there where he says, uh, I already know what to expect, I'm used to it, so so so. if you're used to it, then you should be able to, as a professional, ignore it. Um, when, he, when he is responding um, the way that he is, and he's saying, well, that energy – I'm a big believer in energy and chemistry. So if if there is negative energy being fueled from the stands to you on the court and you are fueling it back to them, you are accepting and bringing energy to the court. It's distracting the, the positive energy and vibe you should be bringing within your team, especially when you're a player like him and what your team depends on. So I tend to think that if you're infused, if you're allowing that to – sort of infiltrate your system, and you're trying to feed that back, you're infusing that as well, I think, and it's spreading. The other thing is, um, why is your focus even out there? How You know, you always hear people say, you know, what, what, when you're at the free throw line with two seconds left, uh, well, I tune everything out, you know, I don't hear a thing, you're just focused on the basket. Where are the players that used to say, I just tune everything out and I'm focused on the game? How is he not tuning these things out and focused on the game? I, I don't get it. I don't understand where the distraction from the, It's one thing if you're walking off the court. We've seen fans out of line, unruly fans, where they're throwing things, where – but, you know, sticks and stones, they're calling you whatever they're calling you in the middle of a game and they're yelling at you. That's going to happen all the time. And I think it's something where you you shouldn't even be hearing it. You should be tuning it out. It should be outside noise. Well, you can hear it and you can use it as motivation, but to then start firing the finger at the crowd is unprofessional. It's infantile. It's childish. I don't think we want that to be pro sports or even college sports. In the United States, I'm hearing some people basically apologize for him. It sounded to me like Stephen A. Smith was like, hey, you know what? That's what he was getting, so that's what he should give. He wasn't sitting up there and having to be restrained and getting into all some, you know, all, get, engaging in histrionics and having to be restrained and all of this. That's not what happened. Kyrie Irving was looking at them after one jumper after another, one layup after another, one dance move after another on Marcus Smart or Tatum or whoever the hell was trying to guard him. He was doing what the fans did to him because they brought the smoke. So he said, let's get it on. Yeah, you know what? How many times do you think in Michael Jordan's career did somebody in an outside arena in New York, in Detroit, in L.A., in Portland, in Utah? Well, I don't know about Utah. How many times do you think that he was yelled at, swore at, and all he did was beat him with the long jumper, the fadeaway, or, and turned around and winked at people or just glared them down right. or just went off against Portland and then turned around and looked at Magic Johnson on the sideline while he was calling the game and did that little shrug that we all know so well from the NBA Finals. You know, why not do something different? It doesn't mean that you have to give it off. And by the way, it's Easter Sunday, father-son outings at, you know, 
in an NBA game, I guess that makes it okay and cool for you, Kyrie. But no, I mean, you know, there's other ways. Hey, you know what? If you want to acknowledge somebody who's yelling at you, flipping you off, and calling you whatever they're calling you, why don't you just kind of smile and wink at them? That would kill. By you doing what you're doing, even if you're gunning down shots, by you exhibiting anger, you're letting them know that they've gotten to you. They are. They won. You didn't win because you hit the basket. First of all, you lost the game. But you didn't win because you may have hit the bucket, but you turn around, you they got you angry. That's what they wanted. They know that they got under your skin. Yeah, Stephen, I expect a, an adult response to stuff like this, and I just thought that response this morning to a guy giving the finger to the crowd was just dumb. It's enabling, and Stephen A. kept going. I want to see this brother walking through the turnstiles and putting on the majestic performances Few people on this planet have ever been capable of putting on display like he does. I stand here this morning completely supporting Mm. Kyrie Irving defending himself against that shrapnel of vitriol that was thrown in his direction. You, Boston, your team has to do something about it. Yeah, They did. They won. In the end, they won. They gave up all those points to Kyrie and got him to fire a finger at the crowd. They won, Stephen A. They did it. I don't what, what are we talking about here? And believe me, I am as immature and infantile as anyone and overreact and probably have fired the finger at people in so many cases. Guess what? When someone comes to you and goes, brah, you can't do that. It's unprofessional. And worst of all, it's bad for business. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. He gives no F's, and that's why you love him. It's Dave Koken on Cofield and Company. All right, let's get to our guy Dave here on a Monday. A lot of baseball to get into, a little hockey as well. Dave, how you doing, buddy? Just fine. How about you? I'm good. Uh, if I were a Golden Knights fan, I'd be annoyed about the weekend. Uh, Golden Knights coming up with uh, just an absolute dud when they really don't have any room for error at this point. So where are you right now on the Knights in terms of uh, playing them down the stretch? Well, uh, their chances of getting a wild card are kind of slim. Yeah. Uh, but they do have a chance to catch L.A. for the third spot in the uh, West in, 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 in the division. Uh, go out and take care of business tonight against a bad New Jersey team. Uh, obviously, this is a game they absolutely have to have. If they make the playoffs, you know, and essentially they're in the playoffs now, you know, this is a playoff-like atmosphere. If they make the playoffs, are you still holding to what you said months and months and months ago that, hey, bottom line is the goalie situation just is not good enough for this team to win, really do much damage in the playoffs? Yes. Uh, I have not budged off that at all. Logan Thompson's been a pleasant surprise, but, you know, he's a rookie. And Robin Leonard just hasn't been that good. I mean, yeah. he hasn't been awful, but he hasn't been—he—he he just hasn't been dominant at all. And uh, if they get in, they're going to be facing a team that's better than they are. And I, I just don't see it going very well. I mean, there are some—there is some upside in that they're healthier than they've been all season. But it's tough to just turn it on all of a sudden just because they've got all the pieces back on the ice. What would you do in the offseason with the current goalie plan? You blow the whole thing up, or can they move forward with this? It depends on what your assessment of Thompson is. I think he looks good. Uh, I, I think he's got the possibility of becoming a solid number one goaltender, and I'm going to look to uh, build around him. Leonard? Who knows? Uh, see what the <laughs> trade waters bring. Oh, you put him on the block? Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. I would. I, I, look, it, it's. I don't know that they'll get any value for him yep. because he makes a pretty good amount of money. And at this point, how reliable is he? Not in terms of his play, right. but his ability to be on the ice. Um, I mean, he's not a guy you can count on for 60 games, that's for sure. No. So, I, I don't know. They're kind of between a rock and a hard place with, with Robin Leonard. Yeah, and I know Flurry hasn't you know, hasn't pl- or didn't play well in Chicago, but I still like my plan going back to the offseason, which is keep Flurry for a year with another option for a second and move Leonard at the height of his trade value. And now, his, like you just said, his trade value is not that rich. And I agreed with you then, and I still agree with you. Unfortunately, Flurry's not coming back. So. On that note, we'll let Dave go. He agreed with me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Dave Koken's with us. He gives no Fs. You know that. Uh, part of DC and the Sunshine Man. All right. First of all, let's hit some baseball by uh, going to what today is in Boston with the marathon. And I saw that you, they wound up losing the game, but I saw that you mentioned a memory. When was that, like 1985? No, no 1980. 1980? Before, before I moved out here. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't remember much about the game, except it was real high scoring and Bruce Hurst pitched. But the big news later that day was that somebody named Rosie Ruiz had won the female end of the uh, Boston Marathon. Of course, that blew up over the next couple of days. and That became the big story coming out of that year. You know, I got the date wrong because I, I don't remember Dave Hurst, be, or Dave Hurst, Bruce Hurst being with the uh, Red Sox that early, but he did come up as a rookie at 22 years old in 1980. He nailed yep. it. Your memory's still good. still rock solid. It's a steel trap. Well, I just, I, I, I remember that particular game, not from the details of the game, but um, the friend, a friend of mine who we'd gone with had gotten great seats up in the, uh, like the sky boxes above in the press box area. They were great seats, and it was like, this is going to be awesome. And the wind was blowing out, and there were just 9 million runs scored early in the game. And I, I remember the Red Sox won, but that's about it. Let's look forward to what's going to happen with the Red Sox here. I don't know that anyone major has been announced as out, but we're still doing the COVID thing. And when you go to Canada and you take on Toronto, unvaccinated, you can't come. So I saw that, what, Ploiecki just tested positive. Tanner Houck said He's not vaccinated, so he's not going. So he won't pitch during the four-game series. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this? And then, um, I guess, unless it's someone major, it's not going to really affect the handicap. Well, uh, how, how could it pitch to that series? So it does have okay. an impact there. They're going to have to plug in somebody. Um, that's just the way it's going to be with, with any team traveling to, uh, to uh, uh, Toronto. Uh, I, as far as I know, Hawks the only one on the Red Sox, so it might not have an impact there, but we could find out differently between now and next week. Right. Hauk said, I think it's a personal choice for everyone whether they get it or not. All right. Well, it, it is. It is, uh, yeah, but, but your, your personal choice affects your teammates. Yeah. Uh, he's a valuable piece of that team, and now yeah. they're not going to have him next week for, a, I'm not going to call it a crucial series this early in the season, but obviously the Blue Jays are one of the teams they're going to be battling and in, li- in all likelihood trying to catch. So let's talk about some early positives and negatives and what you're weaning from the start with some teams. First of all, the Reds stink, and their uh, owner's son is a buffoon for saying, you know, take it or leave it. But I, 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 do, point, I do want to point out, Dave, Hunter Green is going to be a hell of a story. Did he, I think he, didn't he set the record? He threw 39 pitches at 100 or higher? Yeah. Uh, Holy crap. Uh, so hopefully his arm doesn't fall off. I didn't right. get to see the game because of course. the Dodgers are blacked out. Of course. Uh, but... Uh, Hopefully, I'll get to see him next time he's out there. I did see him at spring training, and, man, what an arm that guy's got. 
Uh, early impressions, the ball isn't traveling, uh, so there's going to be a lot of discussion about it, whether it's a dead ball or not. Hmm. But uh, it is going to affect teams that have no speed. And your team and my team fall into that category. The oh, Red Sox, God. Red Sox have attempted, attempted one stolen base so yep. far and, yep. and didn't succeed. And the Yankees have no speed. These teams are are going to struggle. If yep. the ball's not uh, going out of the park, they have trouble manufacturing runs. So I'm going to factor that in as far as looking at games are concerned. Uh, against pitchers that don't give up home runs, it's going to be tough to get the ball out of the park. Uh, what's your thought on the perfect game gate from a, you know roughly, not even a week ago, four or five days ago with Kershaw and Roberts? Oh, I'm in the minority here. Um, look, the most pitches he'd thrown this spring was 75 in a sim game. He didn't pitch last October because of a flexor tendon injury. Yep. He's had a lot of injury issues. And you want him to go out there and throw over 100 pitches? Because uh, it would have been, he would have had to go over 100 pitches. Okay, everybody say, well, he was only at 80 pitches. Yeah, he was only at 80, but he had two more innings to go. So it's not like he was going to go out there and throw three pitches in the eighth and three pitches in the ninth. Right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it would have been nice from a fan standpoint, but there's a reason Kershaw was in agreement with the decision. He's trying to pitch all season and in October. And I, I, that's that's just the reality. Of the and I don't want to hear it anymore of this. Well, in the old days, yeah, in the old days, they, they, there was no Tommy John surgery, and when they hurt their elbows, their career ended. And you don't hear about most of those guys, and there were a lot of them. So... Let's stop with the old days crap. Well, you know, the, the other thing is you hear uh, a guy like Reggie Jackson, he throws out there, you know, the game's being controlled by people who didn't play the game. Dave Roberts is the manager, and I know he's following the orders of of the organization, but that's the way it goes, man. I You know, I was, I was kind of busting on your generation, you know, ripping boomers for being all about themselves and selfish. Like, stop worrying about individual accomplishments. In the end, it's about winning, and I just I, – I, 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 I was like, do I have the wrong pitcher here? It's Clayton Kershaw. He's hurt almost every year. You can't risk it. And, by the way, I, I just throw this out there. Uh, Irvin Santana I – mean, and Johan Santana, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pitched a no-hitter where he threw an inordinate amount of pitches. After he'd already – he was already starting to decline a little bit and had had some injuries. That was basically the last good game he pitched in the major leagues. He was never the same after that. So ask the Mets if they got their money's worth out of Santana and whether the no-hitter meant that much. Also, by the way, the Japanese feed-on, Sasaki, who is going to be a few years down the road, but this kid could be amazing. He got pulled uh, out of a perfect game after eight innings uh, this weekend in Japan because he'd reached his pitch limit. And he's 20 years old or 19. 80 pitches, right? 80 pitches. I'm still going to play against Kershaw tonight with Atlanta. Am I crazy? They're plus 200. I don't like the way the Braves are playing. Yeah. Um, so I don't think I want to. And the Dodgers, my, my boy, um, they're just ridiculously good. So I don't think I want the Braves, uh, but I'm not going to lay that kind of a price either. Uh, you know, the problem is, you know, it hasn't looked good so far. I know. He didn't pitch well in spring training. He didn't pitch well in his first game. And that Dodger offense could could mash him. So if you go against if you want to go against Kershaw, I think over is probably the play. All right. I had two baseball bets in. That was one of them. The other one got canceled. I was going to take my chances with uh, San Fran 
uh, feeling like they're the better team against the Mets with Cobb on the mound, but that one got postponed. What if I look at Tampa and the Cubs and uh, McClanahan against Hendricks? Yeah, I'd, I'd look at McClanahan there. Uh, the only ne- negative is the Cubs have Cubs are smashing the ball. Uh, they got a 128 WRC plus, which is really good. Uh, so they're hot right now, and maybe they can keep it going against Tampa. Uh, but I, I would I would lean McClanahan there. All the price gets me out of the game. Um, the interesting one to me is tonight is the Angels. Uh, Lorenzen, he's he is really confident uh, and loves the idea of starting pitching. I know the Angels are shorthanded again tonight. Here we go. Trout's out. I think Rendon is not oh, playing God. tonight. But uh, uh, I think the uh, Angels might be live here against Houston. They're, they're swinging the bats really well, and Garcia was uh, ineffective in his first start, despite the he only gave up one run, but he wasn't very good. And uh, maybe the Angels can knock him around tonight. Dave, are you going exclusively first five? Not exclusively. Uh, uh, I played Tampa full game yesterday. It was just more of a situational thing, but in the Angels game, I am going first five because their bullpen is still not uh, not what I trust. So, what's situational that gets you to play a full game? If I don't, uh, if I'm not as worried about the bullpen, all right. You know, the White Sox were were probably not going to have their two best guys yesterday, so it was like okay. And we know Tampa Tampa has a pretty reliable bullpen, so in that case, I wanted the whole game, and it didn't matter anyway. Dave, good spot, man. We'll talk to you. Okay, there he is. Dave Koken, wagertalk.com. It's wagertalk.com. That's where you can find all of Dave's stuff. Also up at uh, at Dave Koken on Twitter. Speaking of baseball, UNLV baseball with the uh, series sweep over the weekend against San Jose State to continue to pile up wins in the Mountain West Conference. Now 15-3 and in conference, 25-11 and overall. Another game tonight against Loyola Marymount. The end of a 13-game homestand. First pitch is 6.05. Tickets for adults is low as 10 bucks, and then lots of specials, especially on uh, kids and high school players in the area. And don't forget, coming up May 6th to the 8th, a three-game series at the LV Ballpark. Hawaii will be in town to take on UNLV. You can grab your tickets for the LV Ballpark series against Hawaii at Ticketmaster.com. Four o'clock hours on the way. We're going to get to our path to the draft and preview the Arizona Cardinals get the latest on what's happening in the situation with Kyler Murray. Uh, and the frenzy's coming up. Wait, Stephon Gilmore didn't go to the Raiders. We were told six weeks ago it was a lock.